Good morning, church. Good morning, good morning, LifePoint family. Uh, welcome back. It's good to be uh, with you this morning. I'm excited to kick off this series with you. Uh, guests, if you haven't, we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Cale. I'm the teaching pastor here at the Delaware campus. We're thrilled that you're here with us this morning. Uh, so thanks for being uh, with us. Something we say to our guests every time, uh, just if you're here for the first time, you don't know, the QR codes in front of you, those in the, on the chairs in front of you, uh, takes you to this resource right here or you can just type in a web browser, but that resource guests is for you, lpguest.com, just to help you kind of orient yourself for this morning. There's a guest information card there. We'd love it if you'd take the 90 seconds it takes some time today to fill that out, give us some feedback, uh, but probably more importantly, uh, the notes are there for this morning, bunch of helpful information for uh, this morning's gathering and just about our church in general. So I hope that resource is helpful for you. Um, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 1. That's where we're going to be in this series, as we mentioned today. Uh, it's, we're now into December. We're kicking off our Christmas series that we're calling Love's Pure Light. That's a theme, right, throughout the scriptures, especially if you go into the Gospel of John, right, you see this idea that light, right, that light is coming to the world and the darkness has not overcome it, that Jesus is the very light of the world. And this morning we're going to be talking about uh, specifically how Jesus is our hope and not, not just the general concept of hope. We're going to look at hope as described in Colossians 1 and in 1 Peter chapter 1 as well. And the reason I say it's a specifically right hope as found in Christ, uh, I think that oftentimes when we in our culture, when we talk about hope or when we think about hope, uh, that's more of the sort of subjective sense of hope, not an objective real hope, but more the subjective feeling of hope right? That I feel hopeful. That's how we often talk about hope. But the scriptures talk about hope like that, yes, but also in other ways. One pastor and author said it so well. He said, in the scriptures, you see hope talked about really three ways. One, the act or feeling of hoping, right? So if you say, I hope we win the game, right? You're, I'm hoping. I feel hopeful that we're going to win. That, but there are really three ways. That's one. Two would be the object of hope. Well, what are you hoping for? I hope that we win, right? I'm hopeful that we're going to get a win. But then third, and this one is so crucial, number two and three we're going to hit today, the person who is or secures our hope. So if you would say Sally is our only hope of winning the game, right? She's our star player and she's our only hope. We talk about hope in all of those ways. The feeling of hope, the thing we're hoping for, that ho this is the hope we have to win the game, but also the person who is or secures that hope. And this morning we're going to see in Colossians 1, we have a hope. And it's more than a feeling. It's, a, it's an objective, real, fixed hope that's out ahead of us. And it impacts us right now. And it's not something that can change. It's not something that can be taken from us because it's rooted in a person who is unchangeable. So with all that in mind, let's look at Colossians 1. Chapter 1, starting in verse 1. We're going to go through verse 5 this morning. Uh, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Uh, Colossae, by the way, a really interesting story there. It's a, sort of a, 
mid-sized city in what's today the nation of Turkey. But the reason so interesting is Paul doesn't even know these believers. He's writing to them because he's heard about their faith, as he's going to say here in a moment. And and really how the connection here is that Paul helped plant the church at Ephesus, and a guy uh, got saved there at Ephesus and then took it back to Colossae, took the gospel back to Colossae. And this church resulted from that church being planted. Great picture and story of gospel multiplication. And so he's now writing to them. And note there in verse 2, one commentator noted this, and it's so good. He said, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Paul names both their spiritual geography and their physical geography. So he says, yeah, I know you guys live at Colossae, but I know that you're in Christ. And it's the same for you and me. This is so crucial to understand. You might live at Delaware or in Delaware or Radnor or Prospect or Ashley or Lewis Center or Powell or Marion or Marysville. But if you're you're a believer, you are in Christ. Your physical geography may be one of those places, but your spiritual geography is in Christ. And it's something we often call here at this church, gospel identity. When you understand that you're in Christ, you understand that you are a new creation because of what Jesus did for you. And when you understand your gospel identity, it's so, so crucial. You understand in the Christian life, before you do anything, you need to recognize and embrace what's been done for you in and through Jesus and who you are because of that. You're a new person and your, your primary identity, listen here, your primary identity is not any name that you've been given or that you've given yourself. It's not any label that you've been given or have given to yourself. It's not even the good things. It's not primarily as dad or mom or husband or wife or, or friend or sister or brother or employee or employer. Your primary identity, the one that most matters, the one that everything else should flow out of is as God's son or daughter, made new because of Jesus. And then that impacts how you live in your physical geography. Live in Christ and for Christ in Delaware, Radnor, Prospect, Marysville, Ashley, right, Lewis Center, etc., etc. But recognize, right, that physical geography is impacted by your spiritual geography. Now he goes on in verse 3, end of verse 2, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father, And he goes on in verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Now, one thing I want us to note here, okay, just before we get into the discussion really around what is this hope laid up for us in heaven, I just want to note, Paul says, we always thank God when we pray for you. Paul, again, has never met these folks. He's heard about them from others and now is regularly praying for these brothers and sisters in Christ. And you hear this in multiple of his letters as he writes to people. He says, man, we always thank God when we pray for you. You're constantly in our prayers. And honestly, it convicts me. I think almost every time I read it, I begin to look back at my own prayer life and just go, how much of my prayer and my prayer life is just me-centered? And it's not bad things. But how much, is, how much of it is about others? How much is interceding for other brothers and sisters in Christ? Interceding for the lost? Praying God's kingdom forward more than just in my life and in my sort of center and area of concerns? And so I began to think, well, what is it that helps change that? 
And I just want to share with you guys one practical thing, right, that really has changed this life group term for me in this area of, of prayer, a new habit that I can't even take credit for. It's someone else in our life group. So this life group term for us, right, um, for me personally, for our group has been one of the most difficult. Uh, people have been sick. People have been absent. Uh, we've got some folks who travel a lot. And so we just rarely as a group have had the chance to all be together at the same time, right? Uh, we, we got this part of the group meeting and this part of the group meeting. And so week over week, it's probably been one of the most, if not the most inconsistent life group term I've ever experienced. And yet, right, I could look at that and say, well, that's a failure. Something happened the very first time we met together as a group. One of our group members just gave us something for our Bible. She said, hey, I'm gonna, she, she wrote out, a little bookmark just said connected in prayer and wrote down all of our names on it, right? Typed out all of our names. And she said, just put these in your Bibles. I'll be honest, usually when I get bookmarks, it's like, thank you, you know, <laughs> into the trash. And so I decided, no, I'm going to do it. I put it in my Bible and not perfectly, not, a thousand, not batting a thousand, but nearly every day. I have just taken time to pray for these names and to pray over my life group. And I'll just say, it's been really extraordinary. It's, it's developed into a habit in my life now. And what's really interesting is it's been one of the worst life group terms as far as consistency and being able to be with people and one of the best as far as praying for my group. I've seen these folks less in person than ever and they've been on my mind more than ever. And I trust that God, you're doing something in me, all right, as we pray together, as I'm praying, and I trust that you're doing stuff in the members of my group right? When we can't all be together, and that's just the reality right now, I trust that you're working always, even when we can't see it or feel it. So I just want to offer that to you as an encouragement, right? Establish your rhythm. Do, do what you need to do, right? I don't know if it's a bookmark for you or what, but do what you need to do to establish that rhythm and habit of regularly interceding for others. It's part of how we love one another well, is to lift one another up in prayer both for believers and as we've encouraged throughout this life group term, having that one person in your life, at least one, that doesn't know Jesus, that you're regularly praying for, that that's part habit of your life. Now, let's come back to verse four and five, right? Paul says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, so faith and love because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Now, faith, hope, and love, if that sounds familiar, Right? If you've read the scriptures, all, you know Paul talks about faith, hope, and love a lot. In 1 Thessalonians, in Galatians, in Romans, in 1 Corinthians 13, right? He, faith, hope, and love. These three are obviously very connected, and they're also incredibly important for the spiritual life of a Christian. Now, how they fully relate together is probably beyond the scope of this morning, but we are going to talk about, and here's my hope, Paul seems to indicate that because of the hope that we have, faith, and love, faith in God, love for other people actually grow. And I was talking with one of our other pastors about how does that work? And I, I said, my hope is that as we understand what our hope is in Christ, as we look ahead and we see this future hope that we have, that it will impact us now. It will lead to greater, greater levels of trusting God and loving one another. And so there are three questions. We're going to focus on what is this hope laid up for us in heaven? And three questions we're going to ask about it is, what, what is the hope? What's the nature or essence of it? How did we get it? Who secured it for us? And three, how does it impact us right now? How does future hope impact present living? Okay, so let's go back in. And actually, we're gonna, if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Peter 1 now, because we're going 
We're going to go to 1 Peter 1. You say, why are we going to 1 Peter 1? This is great. Colossians verse 1 verse 12 talks about he's qualified us to share in an inheritance. And a very similar word in the Greek, translated in the English, the same word, inheritance, is in 1 Peter chapter 1. And so in 1 Peter 1, Peter addresses this hope again and then gives us a pretty great description about What's the substance of it? What's the character or nature of this hope? Which is a great Bible principle, by the way. As you read the Bible, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Read other parts of the Bible to understand parts of the Bible. Doesn't mean you shouldn't read commentaries. You can read those as well. Read other books about it. That's great. But the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself, looking and seeing how it all fits together. So this is what Peter says about hope in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living what? Hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Don't miss that. He says, God caused this, but how did he, how did he seal it? How did he secure it? How did we get it? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because he rose from the grave, we'll rise from the grave. To an inheritance. Now he gets into, so what's another way of saying this living hope? What's the substance of this hope that we have? It's not just a nebulous, I feel hopeful. It's a real thing waiting up ahead for us. To an inheritance that is imperishable. It can't die. Undefiled. Can't be stained. Unfading. Never goes away. Kept in heaven for you. Very similar language there to Colossians 1. The hope that's laid up for you in heaven. A hope that's kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power, and listen to this. You, if you're in Christ, by God's power are being guarded through faith. As you trust Jesus, how do you know you're going to make it to the end? How do you know that you're going to make it? Through faith being guarded by God's power. It's not all just your willpower. You're being guarded by the very power of God through faith. Ready for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So he tells us, right? I don't know about you. I'm excited about that. This inheritance, what's an inheritance? It's something that someone gives to you. It's not something you earn. It's something someone gives. Hey, I've left this for you. God has given us this inheritance. And the word, actually in the Old Testament, you say, what did inheritance mean in the Old Testament? Most of the time in the Old Testament, that word was used for the promised land and for the people of Israel, their place in it. Which is so beautiful when you think about that. You got Old Testament, God saying, hey, I've got this land for you, and it's awesome. It's a place of joy and peace and fulfillment. You're going to love it, and your place in it, I'm giving it to you. New Testament right now in believers, it's, hey, you've got a promised land ahead of you. <laughs> Heaven, a better land, a better place, and your place in it is with Christ forever. <laughs> with him in glory. I was, honestly, I was... Uh, talking with one of our other pastors this week, and we were just discussing this, like, the nature of hope and what is the hope of a Christian. And I said, man, at the end of the day, the hope of a Christian is, I'm not going to die. <laughs> Death is not the end. The hope of a Christian is, because Christ rose again, I'm going to rise again. Because Jesus rose from the grave, you're going to rise from the grave. And this is how we have hope right now. You, you've got cancer. It's terminal. And from a worldly perspective, you're looking at the person going, what hope do you have? This is the end. There's no cure. And the end is coming. Then the final curtain. Then it's darkness. What hope do you have? And that person, for the believer, you can say, man, I know I may not always feel joyful or feel hopeful, but I know that I have a hope. Because, yeah, but death is imminent. Yeah, but it's not final. Death is imminent, but it's not final. 
I heard a pastor at a, a funeral say it one time, and I thought, I'm remembering that and writing it down. He said, guys, for the believer, death is not a period, but a comma. And then it goes on, with Christ forever. That's our inheritance. That's what we have, the hope of eternal life, that when we die, one day we'll be raised to, to new life, with Christ forever, which then goes into the second. So how did we get it? If that's our hope, if that's our inheritance, who secured that for us? How many of us, um, just by show of hands, how many of us remember the concept of layaway at a store, right? Yeah? All right. So everyone my age and younger is like, eh, right? I had to look it up this week. I'm like, just remind me what layaway is, right? <laughs> layaway, layaway is the concept, right? So we don't do this anymore because now if you don't have the money, you just swipe a credit card and get it now, right? And then you pay it off later, which by the way, just a little free financial advice from Kale. That's a terrible idea, okay? <laughs> That's it. Like, I understand there are seasons where maybe that happens, but if honestly, if you're like, man, that's just my life, or I don't have money now, just swipe it and pay later. Like we have folks who are brilliant and godly in this church who would love to sit down with you and talk through like, what does it look like to budget and do this well, right? Seriously, reach out uh, if, if you're struggling in that area. But the concept of layaway, right? Once upon a time when we didn't have the money to buy it, you had to wait. And so what stores would do, <clears throat> it's funny, isn't it, right? Like, what you would do is you would put a deposit down and then the store would hold that item for you, right? So what would happen, they would literally, and think about how this works. Somebody at the store had to go and get the item and like store it, they lay it away and they put your name on it. You put a deposit down and they're guarding it for you. They're securing it for you. Nobody else can have it until you arrive to then pay off the balance. Here's the deal. God in a, in a very real sense has done that for us. Held this... Look back at verse 3 and 4. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So our salvation, our inheritance, it's been purchased for us secured for us by God through the blood of Christ. And by the way, that is a key difference. Every, every illustration is limited. And here's how this one is limited. Layaway, you have to put the deposit down. And then you have to come and pay off the balance. Our salvation, we didn't even pay for it. Jesus paid it off in full for us by his blood shed at the cross. And then when you trust him, he puts a deposit down in you, the Holy Spirit, the guarantee of your inheritance and salvation. Can it really get any better? You don't, it's just waiting for you to arrive. And when you arrive, when he comes back and makes all things new and we're with him, then we get it all in full. But it's already been paid for. Deposit already given to us, the Holy Spirit waiting for the time where we die to go be with him or when he comes back. But point being, God is the one who secured it. You're saying, who secured this? How did we get it? God secured it through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. At his crucifixion, he paid for your sin and mine, washed us clean, paid the penalty and debt of your sin and my sin, our rebellion against God, forgiven because Jesus took our place at the cross. And then God raised him from the grave. 
And that proof, that's the public vindication of Jesus. Jesus walked the earth claiming, I'm the son of God who's going to the cross and I'll rise three days later. If that didn't happen, none of this matters. But because it did happen, God publicly vindicated Jesus saying, he is who he says he is. And what he did at the cross matters for you and for me. And because he rose again, he promises, if you'll trust me, you will rise from the grave. Death is not the end. Not for you. In Christ, eternity with him and inheritance being guarded, secured, purchased for us by Jesus. And it's, it's an unshakable hope. It's an unfading hope. It's an imperishable hope. It's an untouchable hope. The circumstances of your life, listen to this, the circumstances of your life, they can take away sometimes the feelings of hope. Our feelings of hope are based on the weather, <laughs> the season of life we're in, the circumstances of our life. Our feelings go up and down. This is an objective hope that is untouchable by the circumstances of life because it is based not on feelings, but on a person, Jesus Christ, an unshakable God. So it's an unshakable, untouchable hope, which leads us right into number three. How does it impact us right now? How does future hope impact present living? I already gave you an example with the cancer example, but you could put it a million different ways. Paul says, look, when you have this hope, it seems to stir us up to greater levels of faith and trust and love for one another. And Peter says, man, it, it brings joy even in the midst of trial. Look, look on in 1 Peter verse 6, 7, 8, and 9. In this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. Okay, now what is he saying? What's the this there? Circle this. Now, what, he's not saying in your circumstances or in your life season or in anything that's changeable. He's saying in this, what I just talked about. In this inheritance. In this salvation that's being kept for you. You're guarded by faith. It's secure. It's done. Purchased, paid for by Jesus and his resurrection. So in that you rejoice, in that hope that you have, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Guys, this addresses the tension of the Christian life. Life is hard sometimes. We get grieved by stuff. It's legitimate. Christians aren't walking around going, I just never feel sad. <laughs> I don't ever feel grieved because I've got hope. No, no. We have hope and joy in the midst of being grieved by life's trials. But even those trials, that grief is doing something in us. You say, what is it doing? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, verse 7, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The trials you endure now in the path of obedience are testing you and refining your faith and your character so that when you get to Christ, it's honor and glory and praise in him. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So Peter tells us, right, this future hope that we have, the revealing of Christ, his return, our hope, our inheritance with him forever, actually produces in us right now spiritual fruit. It produces in us joy. And look, this faith play a huge role in this? Yes. Does love play a huge role in this? Yes. 
But in some way, Peter seems to be saying, we're rejoicing in the hope that we have. And because of that hope, it's a joy that's untouchable and unshakable and that causes us to really endure in the midst of life trials. Hope helps orient us and sustain us and give us joy as we pursue Christ. Listen, if you don't, life is hard. (laughs) If you don't have something you're looking forward to, that you're hoping for, if you don't have something you're looking at going, it's captured my heart and my attention, it's going to be difficult. It is difficult. But when you have that that you're looking up ahead towards, it brings joy in the midst of life's pursuits, in the midst of life's trials. One of our pastors this week said it. He said, man, if, if if your hope is in this world, it'll die with this world. It'll die with you. But we're offered a hope that goes beyond this world that comes from outside this world, from Christ himself. And that's a hope that endures and lasts. So that hope causes us to endure and to have joy now. I've used this example before, but maybe let let me illustrate it this way. Picture you're 25 years old, kind of floating through, not sure what to do with your life, and then you find out that your great-granduncle, right, leaves you a billion dollars inheritance, and you get to be the president and CEO of his company, but with this stipulation, right? For the next 10 years, you don't get any of it for 10 years. And during the next 10 years, until you're 35, you have to work every, every difficult job in that company. The worst of the jobs, the worst hours, right? Second shift, third shift, right? And, And it's the hardest jobs, right? You will clean every toilet in that large facility, in that company, and you're gonna do it. How many of us would hear that and go, hmm, that sounds hard. Nah, I'm good. My guess is you would hear that and go, I'll do that. I'll work the long hours. I'll do the difficult job. Why? Because I know what's ahead. In fact, some people might come to you and even be like, why are you weirdly happy at times? Right? Like, I saw you cleaning the toilet the other day at 3 a.m. and you were whistling, right? And you're like, You know, and and there's this sort of joy that seems to pervade your life. Why? What do you have to be joyful? This seems really hard. You've been doing this for six years, seven years, eight years, because you're you're going, yeah, I know what's ahead. I've got a, I've got an inheritance that's ahead, a better life ahead. Church, we've got something, that's just money (laughs) and a position of influence. We've got some, something so much better than a billion dollars ahead. We have life with Christ forever that's ahead. If we're grieved by life's trials now, we can still have joy in the midst of them because of what's ahead. It changes us right now. And, and just to push the analogy further, imagine if you got to say to that person, you know, this granduncle will give you a billion dollars too. <laughs> that inheritance is open to you as well. Would you like to know how? That's what we have as believers when people come to us. How do you still have joy or hope in the midst of what you're going through? Because of Christ. And and there's a creator God who wants to bless you as well. This inheritance is open for you if you'll turn from sin and trust him and step into relationship with him today. How does future hope impact present living? Because when we've got something, or rather someone who has so captivated our hearts and captured our attention, and we've seen and we've tasted a little bit of of glory and life with him, and we know that's ahead, and we get a portion of it now, it sustains us, helps us to endure, gives us joy, even in the midst of life's trials. 
I'll close with this. Paul goes on in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and I love this. The Bible says not only does Jesus secure our hope, not only is he the source of it, right? That's why we light these candles out of the Christ candle is because Christ is the source of light. But 1 Timothy 1.1 1, 1 and elsewhere, Paul says, he goes so far as to say, no, Jesus is our hope. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our what? Our hope. Goes beyond just saying the source of it or hey, he gives it or he brings it. And he just says it right out. Jesus is our hope. So listen, today if you're here and you would say, I feel hopeless. I just feel hopeless. I don't mean to see it sound cliche, but you need Jesus because he is hope and he brings hope and he's the source of hope. And maybe you're here today and you would say, man, I, I know Jesus. I've just lost sight in the midst of life's trials. I've forgotten where my hope lies. I've taken my eyes off the one who is my hope. I've placed it in other things and those things have failed me. Those people have failed me. Then I would invite you and encourage you and plead with you today, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full on his wonderful face and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Put your eyes back on him today and find hope in him once again. Be reminded of the hope that you have in Christ. And if today you're here and you would say, I don't have hope and I know I don't have Jesus. I've never experienced what you're talking about. Then the offer is for you today. Turn from your sin. Stop trying to justify or save yourself. Recognize that you are responsible to the creator of the universe, that you have sinned in rebellion against him, but that he has offered you forgiveness through his son, Jesus who was born, who lived, who died in your place, and who rose again, who promises forgiveness and new life for any who will turn and trust him. Repent today and receive that forgiveness and hope in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for us. Jesus, we thank you for this hope that's laid up for us in heaven. And God, for those of us who have taken our eyes off of Jesus, I pray today that you'd give us the grace to turn our eyes back to you, draw us back to you, Father. Remind us that our hope has not changed. And Father, for any who are here today who have never experienced this hope, who have never realized the hope that is offered to them, God, I pray that today by your sovereign hand, by your sovereign power, you would open that person's eyes, ears, and heart to understand that they are a sinner in need of a savior but Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. And God, may they come to you today. Jesus, we love you and we praise you and we pray those things in your name. Amen.